I think that song's definitely about King David. Um, <laughs> welcome to week three as we go through the life of uh, this great Israelite king. I want to let you know, you've heard it from Maddie, you've also heard it from Noe, the lights will go off um, at some point during this sermon, and I just want us to roll with it, okay? Just like, pretend like it's not there. Uh, there was a computer update issue with stuff and lighting and boring stuff that doesn't matter, but our lights will turn off again, um, and we're just going to roll with it. So yesterday, uh, I helped coach my son's uh, soccer, six-year-old soccer team, and uh, so here's a picture of Dex. Um, Dex is right there. He's number 27. Uh, notice that, that number 27 on, on, on our team and then Dean, who's next to Dex, are our closest. And they're still so much shorter than the giant behind them, okay? That's Goliath right there, okay, boys and girls? That's Goliath. We had a real-life David and Goliath encounter yesterday at the soccer field. And I just want to let you guys know, Goliath won, Okay. <laughs> Last week, Dex comes up, does a bottle flip. Oh, he's King David. This week, Goliath pushes him down like it's nothing. Our soccer team lost. Dex lost. Dad lost all of his pride. It's all bad news. <laughs> Let me see this kid's birth certificate. He is a giant. Um, this past month has been great for me to immerse myself in the life of David. And um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the drama that unfolds between David and Saul, who is the king. This season, the life of David takes up more than a decade of his life and 13 chapters of the Bible. And this season of David's life reads like a good novel. Okay, there's ups and downs, there's loyalty and betrayal, there's some love stories that take place, there's a story about a witch calling up someone from the dead, uh, and all of this is centered around this shepherd turned warrior turned king, and in this episode, turned fugitive. So this morning, instead of looking at just one story of David and Saul, we're going to look at them all. And this is going to kind of be story time with Pastor John. I'm going to tell you the stories uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 18 all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 1. And in so doing, we are uniting ourselves with the people of God in a very unique way. You see, these stories were first passed down orally. Mothers would tell their sons. Patriarchs of the home would sit around the fireplace and tell the, the rest in the village. Uh, rabbis would teach their synagogues. And so as we retell these stories, some are familiar, some are not, but I trust that God's Spirit will enliven in you and bring to the surface the things that God wants to speak into your life. Okay, you ready? So uh, where have we been? David was a shepherd, right? And uh, God chose him over the, his over, uh, extra qualified brothers, and he's the youngest. And then he gets anointed king, but not appointed. Uh, then the next chapter, in chapter 17, we see this famous story of David and Goliath. David slays the giant, Israel is victorious in battle. And it's not long after this that David becomes a household name in Israel. And not only Israel, but the surrounding nations. And there's this song that everybody starts singing. Here's the lyrics of the song. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. I'm not sure uh, how this song had such staying power. It was, but it was on the charts, top of the charts, for months and months and months. People were humming it uh, while they're milking, milking cows, while they're taking kids to school. I, I don't know the beat of it, but it probably has something to do with, like, you know, Justin Bieber's baby, right? Like, Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, David his ten thousands. Oh, something like that, where you just keep singing it again and again and again. It's catchy. 
you're going to be singing it this week as well. Well, you can imagine how this made King Saul feel, right? Why are they saying that David killed ten thousands and me only thousands? I'm the king. Now, David at this point is no longer a shepherd. He's actually a servant in Saul's court. See, on top of being an excellent slinger, which we've discovered last week, David also played the lyre. The lyre is a stringed instrument, much like a harp, kind of equivalent to a modern-day guitar. And he would play this, and it would soothe King Saul. He would play it, it would cheer him up. But after his victory against Goliath and after the people's adoration of David, Saul had other plans for him. So he puts David in charge of these uh, different military battalions of troops, and he sends him to the front lines for him to die, but God always blesses David. Whatever battle David would go on, God would bless it, and he'd bring him victory. So he, Saul's trying to get rid of him and trying to get him killed, and David becomes more and more popular. David becomes more and more powerful. Frustrated, Saul comes up with a different plan. He says, you see, it's not only the people who have fallen in love with David, but my daughter, Michal, has also fallen in love with David. So King Saul tells David, you can marry my daughter. The only bride price I'm going to ask will be the tips of 100 Philistine penises. It says that. Now, the price is as crazy as it sounds. I love my wife, but if when I asked for her hand in marriage, her father said that, I'd be running for the hills. Maybe we just elope. But David does it. Not only that, he doesn't get 100 Philistine foreskins. He gets 200. Brings, how, how, how do you lay that before the king? You, are you carrying him in a bag? It's just so awkward and weird and disgusting. And David just drops 200 foreskins right in front of the king. And then Saul goes, okay, here's my daughter. Now, not only is David now married to the king's daughter, but also Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. So the more Saul tries to get rid of David, the more powerful he becomes and the closer to Saul he becomes. Whenever Saul desires to kill David, Jonathan advocates for him. But one night, David's good looks... David's songs, his victories, they were just too much. And while he was playing the lyre, Saul picked up a javelin and threw it at David. And it, David missed it, stuck in the wall. Now, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was that set Saul off. Perhaps it was the song that David chose to play on the lyre. He was like, Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, you know, chucks it back at David. I don't know. But that night, after David escapes, his wife, Michal, Saul's daughter, says, my father's going to kill you. And David's like, you think? And she's like, you must leave tonight. And so David sneaks out the window, and then Michal um, gets an idol, which is like a false god, and then she puts goat hair all up on his head, and then covers him in blankets and puts the pillow on him so it looks like King David's there. Who would have known that when Saul's guards came up that night that they go, there he is, they're going to kill him, and they realize it's just a dummy. The plan that got people out of Alcatraz, you know, 60 years ago, they stole from King David. Here's the heads of the Alcatraz guys who get away. I think they got away, by the way. Uh, they stole that from Dave. Now, uh, David's on the run. The anointed king of Israel is now on the run from the appointed king of Israel. 
And this greatly disturbed David's best friend, Jonathan, right? Who's also Saul's son. And so uh, Jonathan is not yet on to the intentions of Saul. And he thinks, he's my dad. I don't think anything bad's going to happen. I don't think he really wants to kill you, David. So he gets this plan going of, I'm going to find out. And so at dinner that night, Saul and his son, Jonathan, are eating. And uh, Saul says, well, where's, where's David? And Jonathan says, well, I, I, think he, he, I think he just went to go check on his family um, in Bethlehem. Saul loses it, grabs that javelin again, and chucks it at David. Saul, Jonathan, lots of people in that room. (laughs) And it misses his son. Somebody take this spear away from Saul. Uh, So Jonathan and David have a heartfelt goodbye, and David becomes Israel's most wanted. There's wanted posters placed throughout the land with King David's face on it. Now, he's not alone. Several men whom he has saved— uh, s- several men who were kind of the uh, unruly class in, in Saul's court follow David, and they too left the comfort of the palace to live on the run. Then David shows up. Life's hard. They, they have no access to anything. There's no food. They don't have any weapons. They snuck out under the dark of night, and, and now they're on the run. They were living in a palace, and now they have nothing. So they go to a monastery in a place called Nob, and they meet the priest there. And the priest uh, doesn't know anything yet. That's one of the, the only advantages that David has right now is that not everybody knows. There's no cell phone. There's no alerts on his phone. There's no newspapers. And so it takes a long time for word to get out that David's actually now a fugitive. He's no longer a national hero. He's on the run. So they go to the monastery. And the priest goes, uh, I don't know if we have any food. Oh, we have some consecrated bread. And David's like, well, that'll, that'll work. I'm on a secret mission. We can't tell anybody about this. Uh, the king sent me on a secret mission. He goes, well, you guys haven't had sex with any women recently, right? Weird question to ask, but David says this, the men's bodies are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? And so the priest gives David and his men food, and they say, uh, David says, well, do you guys have any weapons here? And he goes, no, we don't have any weapons. There's one, there's one. Goliath's sword. You know, when you, when you killed Goliath and you cut his head off and you're a hero because of that? We've got that hanging up on the mantle. Lights are shining on it and stuff. It's kind of framed. Do you, you want that? And he's like, there's none like it. Let me get that sword. He gets that sword. He leaves. As he leaves, he makes eye contact with a man named Doeg. Doeg is a servant of Saul. Picture the assistant of Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Okay, this is Doeg. And so David's got his bread. He's got the sword. He's walking out. He looks at Doeg and he's like, oof. Don't like that guy. He's right to not like him. Uh, David's like, all right, guys, let's get out of here. Where can he go where Saul cannot find him? Well, to the land of the Philistines. So he goes to the land of the Philistines, the enemies. He goes to the bad guy's territory. And you know the first thing that the king says when David arrives at his palace? He goes, aren't you David? Aren't you the one where they sing... Saul has slain his thousands. Oh, David, his ten thousands. Oh, and David's like, gets all scared. So then he acts like a crazy person. He starts drooling and goes up to the door and starts scratching the door like a crazy person. And, it's, and the king of the, of the Philistines is like, this is the hero? This is the one that they sing that song, that, that catchy viral song? Get him out of here. I, I don't want to deal with this crazy man. And David escapes. At this point, uh, 
Doeg reports to King Saul, and he shows up at the monastery. And he asks the priest, what'd you do? And he goes, yeah, I, I gave him the sword, and I also gave him some bread. He says, you're conspiring against me. And the priests say, no, King Saul, no one loves you more than David. No one supports you. No one's more loyal to you than David. Uh, and they say no. And so Saul orders his servants to kill all the priests in Nob. They refuse. They say, no, we're not going to kill these innocent men. So he looks at Doeg and he goes, you do it. And Doeg killed 85 priests and their women and their children. Just got real. It says this, verse 18 of chapter 22, the king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword of Nob uh, the town of the priests with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, its donkeys, its sheep. The story of Saul takes a sinister, dark, and evil turn. This is David's father-in-law. This is his best friend's dad. This was the first king of Israel. He was also anointed by Samuel the prophet. And now he is responsible for the slaughter of innocent men, women, children. Saul's jealousy, envy, and lust for power has now plunged him to a life of pain and little joy. Now one of the priests escape. And they tell David, and David mourns the loss of life, and he assures this priest, you're safe with me. Now, by this time, David's built quite a, quite a following. All the outcasts are now with David. And word comes to them that the Philistines, the bad guys, are raiding a town called Keilah. Uh, Keilah was smack dab kind of in the middle of Israel. And David doesn't know anyone in the city, but they are his brothers and sisters, they are the people of God, that it is a Hebrew town. And so David and his men are in no position to go and rescue this town. They're fugitives. They're on the run. They're running for their lives. But as soon as David hears about it, he does something that will mark his reign as king. He inquires of the Lord about it. He asks God, Lord, we're not prepared. We're fugitives ourselves. We don't have many weapons. Shall we go and rescue Keilah? And the Lord says, do it. If ever there was a time for David to only care about, number one, himself, it's this time. If, if ever there was a time for David to throw a pity party, he, he goes, the only people who just helped me, they got slaughtered and all of their wives and children just got slaughtered. If ever there's a time to, to woe is me, I'm not going to get involved. I'm going to stay to myself. It's then. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King Jr. writes, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And so David the fugitive and his men go and save the people of Keilah from the Philistines. And the Lord was with David and his men. And David and his men are in the desert now of En Gedi. And uh, Saul and 3,000 men are chasing them. 
And David and his men are hiding in a cave. And Saul's tired from being on the road for so long. He dismounts his horse and he tells his men, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And so while his warriors, you know, they would find a tree or a rock or something to hide behind. Saul is the king. He needs his privacy. So he walks into the cave and he waves into his guards. And he's like, I'm going to be a minute. Okay, it's number two. And so he goes into the cave. It just so happens that the Dookie Cave is the same cave David and his men are hiding in. Now, outside the cave were 3,000 elite soldiers. Inside the cave were 600 dregs of society. And between them was King Saul with his pants down. And to kind of make this a bit more modern and to kind of grasp the humor that's intended from this story, we're going to tell this story with emojis, okay? So Saul here is going to the bathroom. And uh, David and his men are like, yes, yes, Saul's here. And they tell David, this is your moment. The Lord is delivering your enemy into your hands. Praise God. And David's like, shh, keep it down. David walks up to the king. Remember, this is, this is a crappy situation that David's in. And this is in the Bible, by the way. It's chapter 24, if you want to read it later. And with his sword, David creeps up to Saul while he's taking care of business. And he cuts off just a corner of his robe with the sword of Goliath. Saul doesn't even notice. Saul buries his business, walks out to his 3,000 troops, ready again to hunt David. And out from the cave sounds a familiar voice. Look at the verse here. It says this, My lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen to men when they say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I have, I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. When David finishes, Saul cries out, You're a better man than I. Who does this? The Lord delivers me right into your hands, and you spare my life. You will surely be king. Just don't kill my descendants. David swore. Saul swore. They did the handshake. They were, you know, they were boys again. And then it says, they're happily ever after. No, no. It says Saul went back to the palace, and then David kept running. Would you take Saul at his word? Multiple javelin throws? David doesn't trust him. We wouldn't either. But rather than taking things into his own hands, David placed them in God's hand. Saul goes back to hunting David. And I'm sure all of David's buddies are like, I told you. You should have killed him when you had the chance. Now he's hunting us again. But David was committing it. He was committed to doing it God's way. See, there are no shortcuts when you follow God. Shortcuts, short circuit, God's plan for your life. We need to wait on the Lord. Then there's a love story between David and Gat, Abigail. And uh, Saul, David saves Saul's life one more time. Uh, he sneaks into their camp and uh, everyone's asleep. And, and Saul's spear 
that has been thrown at David and his son Jonathan is hanging outside his tent. David steals it. He steals his famous jug of water. And then he's like, Saul, Saul. Everybody wakes up. Everyone's looking ready to fight. And, and David's standing on a mountainside and he's got Saul's spear. He's like, dude, I didn't do it again. I had a total opportunity to kill you in your sleep. Look, I got your spear. I got your jug. Your people don't protect you very well. I'm not trying to kill you, Saul. And Saul's like, David, you're the man. You're a better man than I. I'm not, truce, we're good. And Saul immediately starts hunting him again. Now, David's done. Like, he, he can't stay in Israel. So he goes, I'm going back to the Philistine territory. And the king has a change of heart. The king of the Philistines is like, we could use you. You're a mighty warrior. So he does. So he sends David to go and kill Israelite towns. But instead of killing Israelite towns, David kills Philistine towns and then lies about it. Uh, he's a double agent. And Saul, whew, he begins to thrive. David begins to thrive in enemy territory because God is with him. Even in bad territory, even in the land of the Philistines, you can still thrive if you follow God. Even in a hostile atmosphere, Saul's spinning out of control. He doesn't know what to do. He, he doesn't know what to do with this whole David thing. He wants to consult Samuel, the prophet, but Samuel's dead now. So Saul decides, I'm going to go to the witch of Endor. This sounds like a Star Wars episode. And so Saul goes to this witch, and he says, can you call up for the prophet Samuel from the dead? And she does. And then Samuel goes, why would you awaken me from my slumber? This is in the Bible. And Saul's like, Saul, Samuel, Samuel, dude, this David thing is just killing me. Like, I am freaking out right now. Like, I can't find him. I want to kill him. He's freaking out over David, but he's not freaking out over the fact that a witch just conjured somebody up from the dead and is now having a conversation with him. Samuel says this, Saul, it's over. You're done. The kingdom belongs to David. Tomorrow you'll die in battle. Not just you, but your sons as well. So, the next day, the Philistines gather to fight Israel. Three of Saul's sons, including Jonathan, die by the sword. And Saul is wounded mortally by an archer. Here we go again. Artillery is the difference maker, just like it was with David and Goliath. And Saul is, asks his armor bearer, you can't let them take me alive. It'll be worse. So he says, kill me. Take my sword and kill me. And the armor bearer says, no, I can't. I, I'm not gonna, I, it's not going to be my hand that kills the Lord's anointed. So Saul turns his sword upside down, and he falls on it, and he dies. What happens next? Read it for yourself, okay? I want to, the Bible's interesting. I want to invite Noe and the band to come up. We're going to talk more about what happens next in the weeks to come. But I do want to encourage you, I think what's best for your own spiritual life is to dig into these stories in your own time. Here's what struck me most about this season in David's life. It's that you can do all the right things in all the right ways, and you're still going to have lots of problems. Ever feel like that? 
God, I'm doing it your way. How come bad stuff just keeps happening? And on top of that, how come good stuff keeps happening to them? You'll lose your mind thinking about this. I learned that jealousy and envy are not your friends. They're like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You're killing yourself. It's convicting to my heart and spirit right now. I learned that placing my problems in God's hands might make me wait longer than I'm comfortable with waiting. But there's no other place in the world better for my problems than in the hands of God. I might be waiting way longer than I want. In fact, I've come to know this about God. His timing is not just rarely coincides with my timing. I'm going to say never. God's timing is never the same timing as I have. We're never on the same page about when something should happen. Ever. Come on, God. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. Throw me a bone here. Could you answer these prayers for me? Even when everything is stacked against us, God takes care of us. I don't know what part of this story, of David, this season in David's life, is speaking to you, but I trust God's Spirit is rising that to the surface. And get this. It's easy for us to think as David, right? Enemies pursue us. We're David. We're on the run. Bad things are happening. We're getting blamed for stuff that's not really us. It's harder for us to see us as Saul. But when we scroll and we get envy or jealous of that person who's gone on their eighth vacation in the past two months, and they're eating a perfect meal with a little bit of garnish around it, I don't care about your garnish, what you had at dinner, and you're heating up mac and cheese in your microwave. You, that jealousy and envy that Saul experienced and consumed him, it consumes us too. So we're not just David. Sweet, innocent, the good guy. No, no, Saul is in us as well. So Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would show us who you are in the midst of the deserts and the forests and the caves and the hiding places that we find ourselves in. That as you were faithful to David, would you be faithful to us? As you revealed yourself in your presence to David, would you reveal yourself in your presence to us? Even now, God, God, your love is deep. Your love is wide. It's furious. You pursue us when we run away, when we run away from our enemies and when we run away from you. Your love is fierce. So God, show yourself to us in the midst of these deserts, in the midst of these caves, in the midst of these forest, in the midst of this loneliness, when we cry out, God, I'm pursued on every side. I feel like I've done right, and I'm just getting wronged again and again and again. God, show yourself true. Show yourself faithful in the midst of that, God. We pray that you do that in us, through us. Help us, God. We need you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we declare the fierce love of God together now?